Hello and welcome to the Tucson Bitcoin Podcast. Man, I've got a fun interview today with Charles Heller, but before I talk about that, I want to tell you uh, this upcoming Saturday, uh, the um, January 30th, we're going to be having our first Bitcoin meetup here in Tucson that I'm hosting. Like, I know there's been some before, um, but if you're interested in learning about Bitcoin, if you're new or if you've been around the space for a while, it'd be great to have you uh, come. It's going to be on Zoom, you know, and we're looking at a few potential venues uh, for when it's uh, socially acceptable to get together, uh, which, you know, it's really not right now. But um, yeah, for right now, it's on Zoom and got some great people coming, really excited about it. So if you want to learn, check it out on uh, meetup.com. Just look for the Tucson Bitcoin meetup and uh, RSVP. And I hope to see you there. But yeah, Charles Heller, man, what a great guy. He is the host of the Swap Shop, Liberty Watch, and America Armed and Free radio programs on KVOI um, here in Tucson. And yeah, he's one of the co-founders of the Arizona Citizens Defense League, which I recently joined. And I just wanted to learn more about what they do. Um, Arizona Citizens Defense League is a lobby group that lobbies for uh, Second Amendment protections, and they are a big reason why we have such great gun laws in Arizona. Um, and, you know, I felt important. That's important to me. You know, I feel like a part of being self-sovereign is being able to protect yourself. And, you know, I know that's a really hot button issue, but, uh, you know, this conversation was about liberty. It was about self-sovereignty. And, uh, you know, it wasn't you know, talking deep on Bitcoin, but these these are the things that underlie why Bitcoin is so important because Bitcoin allows you to protect yourself from out of control central bankers, um, allows you to build wealth uh, without taking on tremendous amounts of risk like you have to when you're playing the Ponzi stock market or, you know, stuff like that. So, um, before you do anything and buy it, it's important to learn about it so that you can make an educated decision. I've got some resources on my website if you want to check it out. But yeah, anyways, let's get into this conversation. It was fantastic. Hope you enjoy. Alrighty, and we're recording. Welcome, Charles. Good to have you on. Alex, I'm really glad to be on Tucson Bitcoin Podcast. Yeah, it's uh, sometimes I deviate a little bit off topic uh, and generally talk about Bitcoin, but I, I think guns, at least in the Bitcoin community, guns and Bitcoin go um, pretty hand in hand because it's all about protecting, uh, you know, civil liberties and uh, and really being self-sovereign. So, yeah, I think it ties together pretty well. You could almost make a song out of it. Guns and Bitcoin, guns and Bitcoin go together like libertarian marriage you know yeah i mean not i mean you can you can i i just need to pick out four chords and it could be a hit country song well that was actually an old sinatra classic love and marriage oh <laughs> gotcha you post millennial you what's yeah. the next generation after millennial are you a gen xer i'm like right on the edge I, i'm a millennial um but uh like yeah, it's, yeah. I'm, I, I've got a little bit of characteristics of, of both Gen Z and uh, millennials. So, um, like a snowflake. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 
I, I think that's one of the things that I, I, it's kind of surprising. I've heard that um, the Gen Zers are, are surprisingly very conservative uh, across the board. And they're one of the most conservative young generations that we've seen in a while. And it's probably kind of that thing when you're young, you're uh, rebellious against the establishment. And, you know, right now the establishment is very um, left-leaning. So I think that's why we're getting that. But it's kind of funny because it brings up the idea that you might rebel by actually obeying your parents. <laughs> yeah, you, you rebel by not uh, uh, turning them in to the thought police. <laughs> yeah, you, you rebel by conforming. <laughs> yeah, well, it, 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 yeah. How, how countercultural. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think to me, uh, rebelling was definitely moving more in the direction of libertarianism. Um, uh, well, it it wasn't just like an act of rebellion, but I, I grew up in a very, uh, as did you, in a very left-leaning area of the country. And uh, um, it's pretty crazy coming out to Arizona. I mean, my, my first interaction with... Uh, seeing a gun other than on the hip of a police officer was, you know, I was... I think of Wilcox and uh, this old cowboy comes walking into a gas station with this big that, you know, had to be something like a 357 big fat revolver sitting on his hip. Um, and I thought it was like <laughs> the strangest thing. I, I had never seen anything like that before. So, yeah. I in Wisconsin when I, when I drove, went up with my parents in various places, because Wisconsin is an open carry state. And I'd seen motorcyclists in Wisconsin on Harleys carrying sidearms, mm -hmm. hog legs mostly, and uh, big revolvers, and I've uh, single action. And it didn't surprise me. And also in Phoenix, I used to visit Phoenix occasionally when I when I lived in Chicago with my family. And it wasn't, you know, on in Phoenix at night during the summer, it wasn't unusual to see, you know, one out of twenty or one out of thirty people walking down Central Avenue with a gun on their side. And so it didn't shock me when I saw it when I eventually moved here. It kind of thrilled me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it was, uh, it, it definitely is different. Um, so, so what, what do you think attributes to, I mean, one of, one of the things that I, I think is left out of, of most gun um, debates is how radically diverse our country is and like how different the culture in Arizona is from um you know chicago uh or so good place in here so yeah i mean uh what why do you think why why are some places so restrictive on guns versus you know places like arizona where it's like well it, i think it has to do with the entire philosophy of governance it's not just guns alex i think it's the way people look at the relationship between them and their government. And I think in larger cities where people are closer together, people have learned to rely more on municipal services and less on their own sufficiency, less on self-sufficiency because they're so close together that just what developed. And so people became acculturated to the idea that government would do all these things, i.e. sewer, i.e. water, i.e. police protection, i.e. fire department. Um, for instance, where you and I are both from in Chicago, 
if you talked about a private volunteer fire department, they would look at you like you had two heads because there just is no such thing. And while there are private security guards in Illinois, most certainly, like, for instance, the armored car drivers in Illinois are almost all private security. You know, they're and and it, it's kind of funny, like I used to watch the armored car drivers in Illinois, the guy that would go into Thillon's currency exchange. We don't really have currency exchanges in Arizona, but and I would watch when the security guy got out of the armored car, out of the out of the Brinks truck and went into the Thillon's currency exchange to pick up their cash. He would actually draw his 38 revolver and actually as he walked towards the currency exchange, he would thumb the hammer back so that it was single action and of course pointed at the ground and he would walk into the Thillon's currency exchange, pick up a bag of money and then put his finger on the trigger and walk outside again with the gun pointed at the ground and walk outside carrying the money bag. And I'm thinking this is a place where guns, it's illegal to have a gun except for certain licensed people like the security guy and the police and certain few, very, very, very few other people, uh, private detectives in Illinois could carry a gun. Very few, but very few people. Um, and it's extremely regulated. And here the guy is walking around, not only with a revolver out of the holster, but with his finger on the trigger and the hammer back. And all it would have taken is two pounds. I mean, he could have stumbled or sneezed and would have easily just charged around the sidewalk. And yet, in places like Arizona, when I came here, the security guards, you know, they were looking around. They didn't draw their gun when they were walking around with a bag of money. <laughs> they just carefully walked back to the truck and thinking, what a contrast. And I think people's mindset in large cities like that, where government takes over more and more and more responsibility for more and more things, people sort of just accept that, as opposed to in the West where we're, you know, more ruggedly individualistic and more responsible for our own. I, I refer to it as a, a, a culture of Leatherman consciousness, Leatherman being the multi-tool that a lot of people carry. If we had a camera, you'd see I have two of them on, one Gerber, no, one Sog and one, and, and one Leatherman on me. And, uh, and you know, that's part of the, the individual consciousness, consciousness that's more in rural America. I mean, even rural Illinois is very different than big city Illinois. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, there's no joke uh, about the differences of that. I mean, the, the city of Chicago compared to driving out into the cornfields um, or out into the, the farm areas, it is a night and day difference. And even up in Wisconsin, like you were saying, where it's an open carry state, it's very different. It, like here, you know, when I drive um, into California, which I try and rarely do. I have to tear everything out of my car, um, out of my backpack to, to make yeah. sure I'm not doing something illegal. And it's, it's pretty mind boggling to me. And you're probably still committing thought crime in California, anyway, no matter what you do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it, it is really different. And, you know, there, that's something I think is really frustrating to a lot of Californians because there is, um, and I, I've talked with people that are like that, that are uh, much more individualistic and, um, you know, freedom, liberty, small government focused. Um, and, uh, you know, they're kind of rolled over by the big cities where, you know, people just don't see that differently. Um, but yeah. yeah I mean, was, oh, go ahead. When, the, uh, when Colorado was vying for the 1984 Olympics, 
and there was a whole segment of the population of the populace in Colorado that did not win. That eventually, that Olympics eventually went to Los Angeles in 1984. But there were bumper stickers all over that Paul Harvey was talking about on his broadcast. And the bumper, said, bumper sticker said, don't Californicate Colorado. Yeah, and I think unfortunately that's kind of happened to a certain degree. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, so, you know, um, you know, so people's philosophy around uh, governance, um, uh, it, why, why does big government want to take guns away from people? Because guns represent self-sufficiency and bureaucracy demands that people depend on it for their sustenance, for everything, for their security, for their for their food security, for their water, for their just everything they do, with the exception of those few things that the private sector does, like groceries, and people and and bureaucracy depends on that dependency from people. Because if they don't have dependency, if people can do things for their own, why do they need the bureaucracy? And uh, as I like to say, uh, you know, government is a self-fornicating instrument. It services itself and gets people to, and gets people to, and by doing so, gets people to depend on it and then gets people addicted to their dependence on it by, if you get it going, if you get a strong enough momentum going in government, you can generate enough money that you're paying a lot of people. Once you start paying people, once start people start taking some form of money from the government, no matter what it is, whether it's a disability check or whether it's social security or whether it's you know, a pension, whatever it is that you're dependent on government for makes you concomitantly less self-sufficient. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like to use, um, when I'm talking to my progressive friends, I, I like to use the analogy of uh, government uh, being the people that cut people's legs off and then are have a monopoly over the wheelchairs. Um, yeah. And, you know, uh, and it's all wheelchair franchises to some people and, and claim it's a public-private partnership. <laughs> yeah. That's what you know, government is a self-fornicating instrument. So, you know, what, what, we're, we're at a breaking point right now. Um, we're watching, I mean, my whole life, um, you know, I've watched the government expand in their powers. Uh, I think I was in either preschool or kindergarten when 9-11 happened. And shortly following that was, um, you know, the Patriot Act, which, you know, still hasn't really been repealed. So I've grown up with mass censorship or, or sorry, mass surveillance um, now we're seeing mass censorship, um, uh, you know, all, all of these things, you know, endless government expansion. Um, you know, I've, I've never lived under a gold standard. Um, and, you know, things have been uh, rapidly getting worse uh, in regards to civil liberties and freedoms. You know, what, what is the remedy um, to this issue that we're seeing? Oh, boy. How many years do we have to discuss this? The remedy is something. The remedy, there isn't a remedy, any one thing. But um, 
you can start off with the Ten Commandments because the, the country wasn't designed for anything other than a moral people. And if you're not going to have a moral compass, then it doesn't really matter what the laws are because people are going to follow them anyway. So starting out with the basic and the way you teach that is with the family. And the way you do that with a family is you make sure your society is structured in such a way that families can thrive. And on those blocks are built the world. And if you conversely, if you don't build those blocks, shut those blocks down, what you end up with is society that becomes more and more fragmented and people more and more interested in, in just survival than in, than in helping their fellow man. And the more you upset people and the more you make them scared and the more you take things away from people and the more you box them in, the more they have a tendency to turn to government to fix these problems when it's government that's doing it. It's like the whole COVID thing, all right? People say, oh, this, uh, you know, this terrible virus has, has caused a huge economic slowdown. No, it didn't. What happened is the government's reaction to the virus caused an economic slowdown. If government had done what they've done in some places, like in, in, uh, uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the Scandinavian countries, is basically leave it more up to people what to do and how to handle the pandemic, or I should say the panic-demic or the plandemic. And the more you leave people to their own devices, the more they will figure life out. So what we need to do is act in ways that, that, that stress self-sufficiency. Not that every, any man is an island. You know, we're all in society together, but by the same token, you've got to let people determine what's right for them. And if you don't, you're always going to have a screwed up society. Yeah, it's, it, this dives pretty deep into philosophy of, you know, kind of back and forth between uh, uh, more relativism and, um, you know, natural law. And that's definitely a heated debate. And I think most people don't understand what their arguments are built on, what they're arguing for these different things. Um, and it's something that's, you know, kind of, I'm a strong believer in individualism. You know, I've uh, uh, read a lot of the great economists, you know, which, um, you know, really strongly believe in individual or the ones that I've read do. I don't read much of Keynes, but, um, you know, Friedrich <laughs> Hayek and, um, and reading some Ludwig von Mises recently and, you know, stuff like this. Um, and, and I, I like that, you know, the, the idea that people really can truly determine and um, are better suited for making decisions on their own instead of some person in a suit sitting behind a closed door, you know, pulling the strings. So, um, you know, for, you know, a lot of people might get upset right now with what he just said, um, which I think is okay. It's, it's good to have, you know, conversation and, and um dissent around these issues and you know we seen the devastating effects of just squashing dissent in our society um over and over again uh um, i'll tell you i support people to disagree with me mm -hmm. i think life would be boring if everybody agreed with me i support people's right to be offended by what i say i don't support their right to suppress what i say but i support their right to think that i'm that, that i'm wrong and prove me wrong because you know it's like on the radio. I people, if people think I'm wrong, I'll put them to the front of the line and let them let, let them explain it to me. Maybe they can change my mind. Probably not, but maybe they can. And you know what? I, I I'm not about being right. I'm a, I'm about doing what's right. I, I'm not about being right. I'm about being correct. 
there's a huge difference. Being right is this thing where you, you have to be the guy that gets it right. You have to be the guy that's thought of as being the one that always gets it right. And doing the right thing is obeying moral principle, or at least what you believe moral principle to be. And one of them is you listen to other people and they think they have a better idea than you and hear them out. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's great. I, I think one of the things that's been driven into us um, or is there's kind of been a wedge that's formed in society where, you know, people kind of polarize to uh, different sides, believing that the other side is stupid. And that, that's generally the argument I get about the lockdowns is that people are stupid and are going to act irresponsibly and be a uh, danger to other people. I, I, you know, that's the argument around gun control um, and, uh, you know, everything. And that stands in stark contrast to what you suggested. So do you think that people are, are really stupid and incapable of making decisions and, and need to have their lives dictated for them? Or, um, you know, what, what's your thought on that? No, I, I think that the person who knows you best, you, and once a person as an adult has reached their majority, I don't think there's any reason to believe, I mean, unless the person is mentally incapacitated or something, and they're either a ward of their parents, even after they reach their majority or a ward of the state, as the case may be. Once a person has reached uh, the age of reason, they begin to progress towards what's called being sui juris, which is capable of making one's own legal decisions. And at age 18, you, you, you assume your majority and you become sui juris, legal, legally responsible for yourself. That's when you can sign a contract. And the reason for that is because you are legally responsible for yourself at 18 in almost all things. There's only one thing, buying a handgun, it, it takes till 21, but by federal law. But the, again, once you reach that majority where you're capable of making your own decisions, to the extent that you evade that responsibility and let someone else take it for you, to that point, to that, to that end, you regress in your ability to be responsible for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one thing that's really interesting about the argument over censorship is, uh, um, you know, it's, it's suggesting that people don't have the ability to control themselves and that they're going to be, uh, uh, manipulated and, and radicalized and, um, aren't rational decision makers. And, uh, you know, my, my pushback, you know, when that is suggested is, you know, if things were good in our society, you know, if things were stable economically, which they haven't been, you know, for about as long as I can remember. Um, and, uh, you know, people would have better things to do than to, uh, go to war with their neighbors and, uh, commit crimes. And, you know, if the barriers of entry into legal, um, you know, consensual uh, business with other people were uh, low enough, you know, where it wasn't worth taking the risk of going and, and doing black market illegal activities. And I think uh, people would do that. And, you know, it, it's the interesting thing with gun control, because um, my family is, uh, you know, still under the Chicago mindset um, of like, you know, guns are bad. And, uh, you know, I occasionally hear gunshots in my neighborhood. I don't live in the best neighborhood and I would, you know, want it to at least have that, uh, peace of mind of knowing that like, <laughs> um, things are, 
you know, I, I have the ability to defend myself, you know, and we're, we're seeing the police are, you know, so overwhelmed and aren't always reliable. And, um, but yeah. I want to be very, very clear about something, Alex. Sure. I'm mad at the police, nor do I think the police individually are unreliable. But what I believe objectively is that they do not have the ability in terms of the, the raw numbers to protect the society. And you got to remember, Alex, they're not legally responsible for protecting either the societies, the, the society or the individuals in it. Police are not legally liable to protect you as an individual. They are legally immune from any charge of protecting you unless they did something horribly malicious to try and endanger you deliberately then they can be held liable to some extent. But there is no obligation. If a police officer watches you be attacked brutally, he's under no, he's under an obligation to enforce the law, but that obligation does not mean that he's obligated legally to protect you. He's obligated legally to enforce the law. That's all he's obligated to do. And if that results in your injury or death, they can't be held legally liable for it. Yeah, that's really an interesting uh, uh, take on it. So. Um, you know, one of the things I like to define and, and get down to is first principles, because I think, you know, a lot of the issues that we're experiencing right now in these political debates is that, you know, a lot, there's a lot of arguments that are just built on bad assumptions. Like, you know, so uh, the big one that I harp on a lot is, uh, um, you know, the Federal Reserve and, and the endless money printing and, and the just awful power that gives, you know, this institution at the expense of everybody else. Um, and, you know, to enter into that conversation, you need to have a understand, at least a basic understanding of what money is. And yet we're, you know, having these, you know, these big debates over, you know, stimulus checks and, um, you know, government assistance and, you know, but, but it's built on an entire society that doesn't understand what money is and what should the government's role be in money. So you defined a little bit of, um, uh, you know, what, the, what the role of the government, uh, should be. Um, and I think this is a good one to dive into is, is the role of policing. So, you know, what, what is the role of policing and what do you think society is, is demanding of police right now? And how's that creating an issue? I think society demands, um, the demands of society on police are pulling in opposite directions. One part of the culture wants them to do nothing for fear of the police, and the other part of the culture wants them to keep the peace. And those two things are diametrically opposed. The idea, and, and this is spoken to by uh, Colonel, um, I'll think of his name in a minute, uh, Colonel, <laughs> he wrote On Killing and um, his books are taught in all the service academies, and I'll think of it in a minute, but I, he points out, he talks about the wolf, the sheep, and the sheepdog. The problem is the sheep are just as scared, if not more scared, of the sheepdog than they are of the wolf. The wolf being the criminal, the sheepdog being the protector, police, spy, or whatever they happen to be, and the sheep being the, the people. And the reason is, is because both the sheepdog and the wolf have sharp teeth. And they don't delineate between the good intentions of the sheepdog and the bad intentions of the wolf, at least from, from the sheep's perspective, who the good guy and the bad guy are, okay? And so the sheep fear the sheepdog just as much as the, as, as the wolf, and as a result, want to defang the sheepdog, not defang the, the, 
the, the wolf. And it's a problem because just one part of society says, you know, that has this false narrative that the police are going after black people more than white people, which isn't true, right? But it's a narrative that's out there. And then there's a big segment of that population that wants the, the, the police not to go after what they perceive to be the victim of black people or people of color, if you will. And then there's a segment of society that says, hey, we want the police to protect our societies, let them do their job. And there's this huge pull. It's a very um, opposite direction pull and of what society is asking the police. Hopefully that answered the question. Yeah, yeah, that's a really interesting, and I think, good take. And it seems like an impossible job. I and mean, we're hearing reports of uh, many police officers leaving uh, the forces, which is, I think, unfortunate. Um, it's a uh, song about that, you know. What's that? There's a song about that. To dream the impossible dream. <laughs> yeah, I. It, it, it's definitely like I. You know, I'm still at a point where, well, I I, I think I'll always be kind of. Uh, I I don't think of myself as a lawful, but you know, basing decisions um based on the information at hand and i I always try uh and keep an open mind and learn as much as i can to be able to make good decisions and and have opinions on things and definitely um you know police police is tough because uh you know we've seen a war on drugs that's decimated um primarily African-American communities. And, and I think, you know, a lot of it is d displaced anger. You know, a lot of the anger should be directed at, at the lawmakers, you know, and, and there's, I've seen a lot of memes on social media about this, about, you know, the Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and um, Joe Biden, Mitch McConnell, these people that have been over, you know, in government for, for decades, you know, and, and have been a part of um, these really devastating uh, uh, decisions that have just ruined communities uh, of people, um, and and now we're you know cheering. Well, not we, but like a large portion of the population is che cheering on these people, you know, to bring change. Um, I think it's pretty it's pretty terrifying, and uh, it's terrifying. Yeah. Change is spelled M A R X I S M. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's really interesting. You know, it, it seems like the, I think one of the issues with socialism is, is the entire uh, argument uh, and implementation of government is entirely dependent on the people in the positions of power that they're going to be doing the right things. And so, you know, when people give arguments for um, you know, universal health care, you know, all these different uh, socialist uh, arguments. I, I um, like to ask them if, if they really think that uh, Nancy and Chuck and Mitch are going to do a good job of implementing it, looking at their records of what they've implemented in the past. And uh, <laughs> it, uh, it definitely makes them think. Um, and, and it's one of the things that's interesting, because, you know, there was this huge uproar, you know, for the past four years from the left about Trump being a fascist and, you know, having too much power and being unhinged and whatever. And you would think that like the logical um, reaction to that, you know, if they, 
you know, really believe that would then be to limit his power instead of, um, you know, cheering on the bigger government and bigger government uh, policies. But yeah, I mean, well, the reason uh, they called fascist because he was into limiting their power. <laughs> and <laughs> to the extent you limit the power of government, to that extent, you make people more free. And they're not in favor of that because they want control. The left is purely about control. It has nothing to do with the welfare of the people. The left has to do with, with control. And some parts of the right, when you get far enough to the right, want the same thing, too. You know, there's... <coughs> excuse me a second. You know, there's, there's both the left and the right that's part of the swamp. And the business-as-usual right with the, with the left-leaning control freaks together make for a bad stew. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's a great point. I mean, we saw the greatest expansion uh, of government powers under Bush, the Bush administration, you know, and he was a Republican. Um, right. And yeah, so I think that's something. So yeah, I mean, we, we need to, you know, it, it's really comical to watch these people, you know, after the, I'm not going to condone, I, I, I thought the storming of the Capitol was, not a great thing um oh, it was a bad really but but to see the reaction of these people you know that have no uh interest in upholding the constitution or respecting civil liberties um you know to say that this was an attack on our democracy and an attack on our constitution <laughs> you know <laughs> they've been chipping that away for years about the constitution when someone gets near a copy of it <laughs> yeah yeah, I mean, it, you know, and it's one of the interesting things is, you know, the Constitution is really a beautiful thing. Um, and the, especially, I, I just love reading the Bill of Rights. And I, I think a good intellectual um, exercise to do on a regular basis to go and just read the, the Bill of Rights as kind of a, um, a, a way to like center and evaluate what government's doing. Um, yeah. And, I, I think a lot of people are, are really um, disconnected from it. And, and one of the things that's, that's difficult too is, you know, the Bill of Rights is, uh, and the Constitution is up to um, interpretation. And, and the people that are interpreting it are the legislators. And, you know, we're, we're supposed to have the courts as a, um, uh, you know, a, a, a a check against that but you know at the same time you know these are uh the same courts that have upheld all sorts of ridiculous rulings in the past um that were not not uh i think debatable i mean the idea that uh black people were not considered people you know for a portion of our country's history just just kind of puts into perspective like how flawed um interpretation of the constitution can be sometimes so well, they, uh, they intended in the constitution that black people not be considered first of all black people weren't not considered people in the constitution the reason that they were considered three-fifths of a person was uh, in the constitution was for purposes of apportionment for for uh, represent representational government and the reason was is that when a state had a population of slaves they didn't want to say that because they didn't have non-slaves 
because they didn't have because they had a certain whole number of people they wanted to have proportional representation that counted how many people were there in the state and of course that made the that was the compromise that three-fifths compromise was a compromise in the constitution about how representation would be apportioned in the constitution not about whether or not blacks were considered a, a person or not in the south blacks were largely not considered to be people in fact, uh, the famous um, um, Dred Scott case, the, the Justice Taney wrote or um, said, said that um, Dred Scott didn't have standing to have his case before the Supreme Court because he wasn't considered a person. Because if he was, get zoops, he'd have the right to keep and bear arms. And we can't have that with, with, with them folks, in, in Taney's opinion. Obviously, I'm talking about his opinion, not my opinion of Black people. I don't care what color people's skin is. And I can't see why anyone else does either, frankly. But that's largely misunderstood that it has to do with proportional representation more than whether they were thought not a whole person. But I digress. Yeah. Yeah, and I think this is, you know, getting into it. Um, we, we really need to... Uh, one of the things that I, I try and, like, talk to people about is we need to really drive in this idea of, like, self-sovereignty and and individualism and, and, and liberty, um, personal liberties, if we're going to address issues of inequality, um, instead of going and giving more power to people to, you know, because what inevitably always happens is somebody gets marginalized, and they get, uh, you know, hurt, <laughs> you know, and they're targeted, it's just, it, it happens every single time. Um, problem with socialism is, is that it depends on the it depends on theft and it depends on what uh, the former talk show host here in tucson Emil franzi used to call pathological egalitarianism in other words that everyone has to come up with the identical result or somehow something isn't fair and the whole idea of marxism it, it in order to get there you have to destroy private property and and private property is individual sovereignty. And as long as you're sovereign over the things you own, and as long as, it, as, as long as you have inalienable rights, then what it does is it keeps a, a certain level of power away from government. And people in government, people in the, what some folks have called, the, have come to call the deep state or the swamp, hate limitations on their power. Yet at the very same time, a sane society, a, a, a rational um, representative republic cannot afford to give government that much power or because as Dennis Prager says, the bigger the government, the smaller the citizen. Yeah, yeah, I think that's great. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, so I mean, what like looking forward to the next 10 years or well, I wouldn't even say that long over the next four years, at least. Um, how about the next six months? Yeah. How about the, yeah. Okay. How, well, do we, yeah. How, how do we keep freedom? Yeah, exactly. I think we absolutely use peaceful and lawful means to nail the jackboot of government to, to the lengths of the constitution through every lawful and peaceable means necessary. One of the things that's wonderful, are you familiar with the work of the Goldwater Institute in Phoenix? Mm -mm. No. Oh, you should be. 
uh, look them up, goldwaterinstitute.org. Goldwater Institute has what's called the Sharf Norton Center for Constitutional Litigation. And when it sees government step out of line with its stated purpose, you're familiar with the stated purpose of government, Arizona? Uh, no, I'm not. Oh my, Article 2, Section 2, all powers inherent in the people and, uh, and that uh, governments derive their just powers from the consent of the governed. And the purpose of government is to protect the rights of, of the citizen. That's the stated purpose of government in Arizona. And when Goldwater Institute sees activities by governments that aren't in line with the stated purpose of government, they sue them into submission. And they don't ever sue for money, they sue for redress. And uh, Goldwater, I gotta tell you, when the, when the city, when, when the, uh, the corporation council of any city hears that Goldwater Sharp Norton Center is on line one, they wish they'd worn their depends to work that morning. And uh, it just, it, you need organizations like that that actually scare government lawfully, not through threat, but lawfully scare government back into their box. You need things like that in order to, uh, in order to preserve liberty. And we need to use all lawful and peaceable means at our disposal uh, from peaceful protest, which isn't that effective, but uh, lawsuits to keep government in line, which it, uh, things like the, the Heller case in DC, where you had a guy named Dick Heller, who was a security guard for the Department of Justice during the day and at night, couldn't legally uh, bring a gun into the district to, to have in his home. And you know, during the day, he carried a 40 caliber Glock and at night he was considered unqualified to, own, to have a gun. And you know, and they formed a, they formed that lawsuit very carefully along around six perfect plaintiffs and framed the case very, very narrowly to get the decision that they got out of the Supreme Court in uh, District of Columbia versus Heller. And then uh, two years later, they got they built on that with uh, 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 McDonald versus City of Chicago, where they incorporated the, the, the Supreme Court practices, what's called the doctrine of selective incorporation. They incorporated the Second Amendment upon the states that had never been done before, basically requiring the states to follow the Second Amendment. And that came through very careful crafting of lawsuits in order to frame the case narrowly around perfect plaintiffs and get the result they wanted to get. And they did do that. We got yeah, to do more of that. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. I mean, that's that's why um, I I don't know I. I was pretty reactive, but when I saw a headline about um, uh, gun control um, coming from Joe Biden, the first thing I did was go and join uh, rear, well, renew my um, registration with the NRA and then join the Arizona Defense League, Citizens Defense League. Um, but yeah, I, I'm kind of curious, uh, has the Goldwater Institute gone after our the Tucson Mayor Rahina? Romero at all? Uh, they went after Pima. Yes, they, but they haven't gone after Regina Romero specifically, but they, they've gone after Pima County multiple times. They have lawsuits running right now that have been going for a while on the uh, the, the balloon company that the, uh, the county illegally uh, made a sweetheart deal with, and they violated the, uh, the clause of the, the gifts clause of the Arizona Constitution about giving, uh, giving benefits, emoluments to uh, to a, a private corporation without getting a proper uh, remuneration in return, and also to um, for violating the uh, the contracts clause of the Arizona of the uh, of state law, 
and uh, the, the city has pretty much sued uh, Pima County in its submission, so much so that that company has actually left Pima County. And uh, the balloon company that was building uh, these high-altitude balloons, and supposedly they were going to give people rides into the into the stratosphere for sixty for seventy-five thousand dollars a ride, and that never materialized. But we built a fifteen million dollar facility for them, which I believe has largely been abandoned now that the company has mostly left Tucson and moved to Florida, and they've gotten a sweetheart deal out of governments in Florida doing the exact same thing. It's kind of their stock and trade. Well, Goldwater has, has not specifically gone after Regina Romero, but they did go after Pima County on their curfew. And uh, the curfew, they just got a temporary injunction against the curfew. Pima County put a 10 p.m. curfew on. Every, every business had to close at 10 p.m. and People were supposed to be off the streets and everyone pretty well ignored it anyway. It wasn't really enforced. And then uh, several business owners through Goldwater sued the uh, Pima County on it, and uh, they just won a, uh, a, a uh, some injunctive relief on it last week. Yeah, I saw that, and I was when when you mentioned them, I I thought they'd probably be wrapped up in that. It, yeah, I mean, I it, it's interesting to like really sit down and talk to business owners about how um, they're being impacted by these restrictions, and specifically the curfew. And you know, there's things that that average people um, wouldn't really think about. So, you know, I sat down with, um, the director of a local hotel and the curfew, um, as well as like canceling sporting events, just completely destroyed her business, um, for, I don't know how long are there these, you know, arbitrary decisions that, you know, aren't really based in a whole lot of, uh, um, substance you know because i mean we we joke about it that you know covid doesn't spread from uh 10 p.m to 5 a.m like you know why why on earth would you you know go about making a decision like that um but you know your average person that isn't isn't seeing this and i think that's part of the reason why um uh we we see people just kind of like consenting to it and being apathetic or even cheering it on as being a good thing because you know there there's lots of people that don't have a voice and it's a that's that's a big reason like as a gun owner myself you know part of my voice is uh you know really supporting people and and, uh organizations that i believe in um to you know represent my voice because i know that uh government probably isn't going to be interested in doing that a whole lot of times. Like, you know, my, my voting, my uh, vote is much less important than, you know, the money that I send over to um, organizations like the Arizona defense citizens defense league. Um, So, yeah, I mean, so you're one of the co-founders. Oh, go ahead. Four co-founders. You're one of the co-founders of the Arizona Defense League, Citizens Defense League. So why did you guys feel it was important to uh, start a group like that? Well, in Arizona, there was no dedicated lobbying group that was trying to get back some of the ground we'd lost in the right to keep and bear arms. And we'd lost a lot of ground. Like from the time Arizona was founded in 1912, on February 14th, 1912, when it was chartered, up until 1968, there were no gun. There was relatively few gun laws. It wasn't illegal to carry a gun openly or concealed. 
And suddenly in 1968, there was a bill in the legislature by, uh, 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 by, by Sandra Day, later to be known as Sandra Day O'Connor, which uh, criminalized the carrying of a concealed weapon. I, and uh, the bill was written largely by a fellow named Ben Avery, who got a range named after him in Phoenix. You know, so that was Arizona, one of Arizona's first gun, gun laws, really. And um, I mean, there'd been laws that said where you couldn't take a gun in Arizona before 1968, but not many. And uh, that was really our first sort of gun control law in 1968. And since then, things had been chipped away at and chipped away at and chipped away at in terms of when you could and couldn't use force. And we knew that if there wasn't somebody in the legislature every session lobbying to push back and, and restore some of our rights, that uh, it would continue to erode. I mean, you know, NRA is fine, it's great, but it's not, you know, NRA is more national in scope and we're more local. We're the actual boots on the ground of the right to keep and bear arms in the Arizona state legislature. And we've become the go-to people in Arizona to, um, you know, that, you know, we're the people that people ask about uh, firearms related and defense related items. We've become those people over the 16 years we've been around. And we've had 16 good gun bills go through the legislature and be signed by the governor. We've probably had about 145 or 150 or so that we've tried to get through. And of those 63 have made it and been signed into law. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, uh, I, I, you know, lobby groups are really uh, looked down upon, and I think part of the reason is is because um, a lot of the people uh, funding the lobby groups have special interests that exist at the expense of other people. Um, so, you know, we hear a lot about big pharma and, you know, the countless other ones, and you know, even the, the NRA is, is looked down upon and has kind of like a negative name for a lot of people. Um, but I think what isn't uh, discussed is like how normal people need a voice uh, and that, you know, organizations like yours are, are really offering people a voice, you know, to, to be heard and represented in government. Um, so, yeah, I think it's great that what you guys are doing. I mean, so as far as like upcoming gun legislation, I got an email from you guys. Um, what, uh, what, what's on the table right now this year? Well, one of the things that we encourage people to do is to be active. And we've got a number of things that we're working on. Uh, the best thing you can do is look at our, uh, our legislation tracking page at azcdl.org and look on, uh, on the bill tracking page and see some of the things we're doing. One of the things that's already been submitted is what we call um, is what we call um, buildings. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm trying to think of the exact name of the legislation, uh, but it basically says that if there's no, um, if a if, first of all, it's not illegal to be in an Arizona government building with a firearm unless there's a sign there that prohibits it, or if it's a place that doesn't allow guns. Like for instance, you cannot be in a jail with a gun. Uh, at all. You, that's a felony. That's a serious felony. But unless it's a secure police facility or a jail, it's not illegal to be there with a firearm unless they post a sign pursuant to ARS 1330-102 that says it's not legal to be there with a gun. But if the only reason it's illegal to be there is the sign which says so, 
then they're required by law under 133102.01 to provide storage a storage locker within 200 yards of the entrance in order to uh, for a person to secure their firearm because otherwise if you tell them we can't have the gun in the building and we won't check your gun then what they've just said is you can't have a gun between your home and this building they're effectively disarming you for the trip there if there's nowhere for you to put it and so but there is no penalty in law if they don't comply with the requirement to have a lockbox. It's just, sorry, you're out of luck. Well, what we wanna do is we wanna say, look, if you don't have the lockbox and a person has a concealed weapons permit, then they can walk right, right past the sign with no legal consequence. And that's making people a little, that has made people a little nuts. And you know, the people who have concealed weapons permits misbehave at an extremely low rate, Ter a lower rate even than police officers have misconduct. And that's demonstrable. And so as a result, what we want to do is we want to enforce government to obey the law. And that's one of the things, secure buildings is the name of that legislation. And we want to say that unless the building is secured, unless they're going to put in metal detectors and lockers and cops to enforce the disarmament to make sure that if you're gonna ask people to be disarmed in a building that you're gonna enforce it equally because the bad guy can walk past the sign. If you don't put a metal detector and a guard at every door in a place for the honest guy to check his gun, then the, the regulation should have no effect in law. And that's what we've been pushing for for many years. We're doing that one again. We're advocating for that one again. We're also supporting the idea that uh, the governor shouldn't have dictatorial powers during, the, during an emergency and after 21 days of a declared emergency, the legislature will automatically be called into session and get to vote on whether or not an emergency should be continued. And there's five or six different bills that all have that effect. And we're supporting all of them because we don't think that we should have a dictator. We think we should have a governor. So those are some of the ones you can look online and find the rest of the bills. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a really interesting one. Um, so, yeah, I mean, seems to me i don't know if things have changed but it seems to me like arizona has some of the most uh free uh gun laws in the country do you, would you say that that's the case would you please repeat the question i got a little bit distracted oh yeah no worries um it, it seems to me that arizona probably has the most uh lenient and and welcoming gun laws in the entire country uh would you say that's the case if not, we're close. We're considered number one by Guns and Ammo magazine of being the most gun friendly in terms of ownership. That's probably true. Um, Vermont is pretty easy on the, on the gun owner as well. Alaska is pretty easy on the gun owner. A lot of the Western states are pretty easy on the gun owner, but we're considered the most friendly state as far as ownership is concerned. In terms of the use of force, we're pretty good, but Texas probably beats us on use of force laws and what you can and can't do to what you can and can't protect in terms of property. For instance, in Texas, you can, you can threaten and maybe even use deadly force to protect property in Arizona, you cannot. So it's an interesting case as to what's the most gun-friendly state, but generally speaking, mm. Arizona is viewed as the most by guns and ammo and has been for the last seven years, largely in fact, due to our efforts. Yeah, that's, it's a, uh... It was pretty mind-boggling to me, the idea of like a, a private firearm sale um, and the way that, you know, that was allowed down here versus like well, having to- Alex, if I disagree with you or, or correct you just a little bit, if it, that's not arrogant, 
it's, sure. it's not allowed. It's that it's not prohibited. There's a huge mm -hmm. difference. Because saying that something is allowed means that government has the authority to allow or disallow it, and it doesn't. Arizona does not have the authority to ban a private sale. When you say it's they, they allow it, what you're thinking is, well, the authority is inherent in government. It's not. The authority is inherent in the people per Article 2, Section 2 of Arizona's Constitution, which I quoted you earlier, that all power is inherent in the people. And what that means is you can do anything you want to do, provided it's not prohibited. As opposed, of, as opposed to you can do anything you want that the government allows you to do if you get a permit for it. <laughs> it's the default setting on liberty is to the, per, to the individual, not to the government. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it, the clarification. I think uh, there's still some deprogramming um, from my childhood that I'm, I'm working on. And I think that's a, <laughs> that's a pretty good. That's uh, a big admission. You're on the road to recovery. <laughs> well, you, you know, there's it, it, it I think a lot of people don't want to admit that, you know, they've never th really t thought through these things. Um, and there, there's just a lot of stuff that I, I have never touched. And that's one of the things I love about uh, doing a podcast is I get to talk, sit down and like pick people's brains for all sorts of like really interesting, smart people. And, and it is a really cool learning process for me because, you know, I'm young, I'm still formulating a lot of, you know, what I believe. And there's a lot of things I've just never bothered to, to question, you know, or think about. And, you know, like just the, the differentiation of what you just pointed out to me is something I would have never thought of on my own. So I think that's, you know, I think that's, uh, um, Part of what's so fun about this process is you know getting to learn stuff like that yeah and it, th that right there is such a foreign concept um i think to a lot of people um and it's you know that we just have this coercive relationship with the government you know where we most of us do things just because there's a gun to our head and uh you know um instead of doing things because they're the right and proper thing to do and i think it's uh you know, unfortunate, but, um, um, there's a line in the Jim Croce song that's very appropriate to this, but it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. It, it definitely, um, yeah, I think like right now what we need, um, is, uh, for people to really, you know, there's been a lot of people that have been very uh, disempowered, you know, they've been kind of shut out away from their communities. A lot of people have had their livelihoods taken from them uh, by the lockdowns. Um, yeah, and it's not by the pandemic. You're right. It's by the lockdown. And I, you know, I enjoy conversations like these because I think it gives people um, the ability to find a sense of, you know, purpose and meaning, you know, that they can actually create change, you know, and you outline some like really um, good legal ways to go about things. And, and I think a lot of people are missing that, you know, people are having trouble feeding their kids and, you know, are getting angry and, you know, going and lashing out and, you know, damaging property and, um, you know, and ultimately like what it's not doing is holding people accountable um, for what needs to be done. And I think it's, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I'm looking yeah. at the cold water. Yeah, we're, not, we're not encouraging people to break anything. We're not encouraging the Citizens Defense League. 
or myself personally or my Liberty Watch radio program on KVOI, nobody's encouraging any kind of a use of force against any person or any property. We're talking about using the lawful process that's there in terms of joining organizations, supporting organizations like Goldwater and, 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 and similar organizations like it back in Chicago, the Heartland Institute and in Kentucky, the Bluegrass Institute and places like that that are similar in their nature that want to hold government accountable and cause it not to exceed its exceed its bounds, not not to not to operate. You know, when, when an officer of the law exceeds his authority and uses his or her badge in order to get somebody to do something, that's called deprivation of civil rights under color of law. And when government does that writ large, we we want people to support organizations that sue them into submission and legislatures that will legislate against them doing that. The whole idea of civil asset forfeiture, legalized theft, that needs to be changed. And there is a movement across the country to do exactly that, to reform the civil asset forfeiture laws so that your property isn't declared guilty even, in, even when there's been no crime. Yeah, that, that one's just unbelievable. And, uh, it is. Yeah. And I, I think it's, um, uh, yeah. It, 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 I think it's getting difficult, and I think pe- part of the reason why people getting are getting desperate, they might, you know, not realizing it, is because we're seeing the destruction of people's wealth um, across, you know, the entire country. Like, if you, there's this website I love called uh, WTF happened in 1971, um, and uh, uh, you know, there's all these charts that we see of what has happened. Uh, after the removal of the gold standard of like, you know, the wealth gap, um, and it's, you can like, it's funny because it's all these charts with just an arrow right at 1971. And you see just like bad things following afterwards. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the reasons why I focus on Bitcoin so much on the podcast is, is because I think we need to fix the money because I, I see money as political speech um, and voice. You know, if you don't have money, you can't represent yourself legally um, at the same level. And, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing that um, happen, you know. And just all- One of the ways you can have freedom or at least augur towards more freedom is to be financially independent. And you can look at many different ways to do that. One of them is the uh, Dave Ramsey plan. I don't know if you're familiar with him with Ramsey mm-hmm. Solutions, yep. but it's he has something called the baby steps and it helps people to get out of debt. And when they get out of debt and then they, and they pay off their house, they don't have any bills and then they have a chance to build wealth. And when you're not living paycheck to paycheck, you're not de- you're not as dependent on going to work every day. I mean, you still go to work every day, but you're not as dependent on that for your for your daily bread. Then you're a lot more free to engage in principled fights for liberty. And that's an important thing to do. And I'm most of the way there. I have uh, I have everything but my house paid for, and I'm on the Dave Ramsey plan. And uh, I don't get paid to say it, you know, but I'm 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 fully supportive of that. And on the, our radio station, we run Dave Ramsey's program, and we give away, give away a lot of his books. How's that for predatory capitalism? We give it away; it's free. All you got to do is listen to the commercials. You can listen to his program all you want; it's free. So you know, so much for so much for us uh, greedy capitalists. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Dave Ramsey. Um, and I think there'll be a point where, uh, I, I pretty strongly believe this where he'll flip and start becoming an advocate for Bitcoin because he's pretty, uh, adept, um, financially, but yeah, he, he's where I got my start, you know, where I, um, started to question what money is and, you know, got my life together and got out of the, the paycheck to paycheck thing. And it, it's really difficult right now because people are operating at a, you know, a net negative, you know, as they're getting poorer and poorer due to inflation, you know, and we look at like just the stuff happening that happened in 2020, where 30% of all us dollars in circulation are printed in a year. Um, and what, what that's going to do to people's, uh, um, well, yeah, their wealth, like, you know, these normal people just do not have, they either don't have the time, you know, the resources or, um, interest to really protect themselves from predatory, uh, central banking. Yeah. What's worse is they don't have the knowledge. They don't know any better. They're pretty that, normal in terms mm -hmm. of not realizing the principles that Ramsey teaches. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I'm such a big fan of him is because he's, he's a great educator. Um, I definitely disagree with him on some things. Um, but but yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter what I, I think, but yeah, I mean, he's doing a, doing a great service to society, you know, with his it, work. It, it, like Paul Harvey says, he says things, Ramsey says things in, sh in shirt sleeve English. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, things are definitely like what I was on a, call with my family last night and you know one of the things that i said to them is like we're we're past the point of being able to be apathetic and just coast like it's time that we you know really start pushing back right now and and seeking for ways to protect ourselves because yeah. you know i think things are getting rough and out of control um yeah the yeah. roller coaster post uphill yeah um so yeah, where where are some good places? Uh, I know we we've talked a little bit about uh, Liberty Watch Radio. Where are some good places that people can follow your work? Uh, LibertyWatchRadio.com. If you want to listen to my programs, go on the recent shows tab, and uh, you can listen to uh, the last six months of the program. If you scroll down below there, there's the inactive archive. There's the last twenty years of the show. If you see something you like, you want to listen to, just send me an email. My email address is charles at libertywatchradio.com. Again, charles at libertywatchradio.com. I just asked me to put anything back in the archive. I will. It's free. Um, I don't have my handout. I'm not asking for money. I'm not asking for anybody to go to Patreon or anything like that. Support me. I support myself through commercial advertising. If anybody wants to have a radio program, like on their own, like maybe somebody who has a podcast would like to be a radio show host and do a live show. They can do that. Um, it's reasonably priced. You get a few sponsors. You can do that. If somebody has a business and they want to be uh, on the radio. I, have, I'm, I represent the, the radio station, KVOI, and also two other ones, uh, 106.3 The Groove and 92.5 FM Urbana, which is a brand new uh, Mexican music pop radio, pop music radio station. And even though it's in Spanish, you can actually hear the words. 
And so if somebody wants to penetrate the Hispanic market, I can help them do that in Tucson. If somebody would like uh, listening outside of Tucson would like to, I make radio commercials on darn good ones. Uh, I produce them. I have my own studio. If you want to know the quality of them, listen to this microphone. It's the one I use to, to, make, uh, to make the radio commercials. And uh, I can make beautiful radio commercials for you anywhere on the planet. Very reasonably priced if you want to do that. If you want to see some of my writings, they're on jpfo.org. That's Jews for the Preservation of Firearms Ownership, jpfo.org. You can look on uh, Arizona Citizens Defense League website for all kinds of great information about right to keep and bear arms stuff in Arizona at azcdl.org. Again, if you want to see my stuff, it's on libertywatchradio.com. And then you can either look on um, uh, the recent shows tab or on the uh, Swap Shop tab. That's a local radio show here in Tucson. It's on from 10 in the morning until 11. And that's where people buy and sell and trade anything lawful and moral. And I make fun of their stuff and play sound effects and read obituaries and interesting stories and tell jokes and just generally uh, you know, talk about things in my, in my realm of experience. At 11 o'clock on Arizona time is Liberty Watch about maintaining a free country and making sure government remains servant, not master, based on the notion that if you want an informed public, you got to have information that doesn't put people to sleep. And then uh, last hour is America armed and free about things with a muzzle, a nozzle, or a blade, based on my 27 years of experience as a defense instructor and my formation, co-formation with three other guys of the Citizens Defense League and my experience with helping to be to lobby for bills and helping to defeat bad ideas. And then also, I'm a tremendously uh, excited military history buff, especially about naval history. And my programs have to do, in many cases, with naval history. Uh, in two weeks, I've got a fellow who's written, a professor who's written a book about Chinese espionage. And uh, he's written a brilliant 314-page book about that. Um, and I'm reading it now. In fact, tonight I'll probably go another 50 pages in it. Fascinating book. And I get it really get into the, the nuts and bolts. And sometimes I ask some kind of obtuse questions, but I try to really, really, really get underneath the topic and try and understand what the author was trying to say and then reverse engineer that to what would the listener want to know about that? And then ask that question that sort of evokes both the emotion and the reason in the answer. And so if that's the kind of radio you like, radio for people who think it's not uh, fiery, it's not meant to be, uh, you know, have fire and brimstone radio. Every now and then it turns into it, but that's not the intention of it. And um, I like to tell people, be vigorous, not violent, vigilant, not vituperative. You know, it's, it's not about fireworks. It's about good ideas and things like you asked, a really good question you asked about, oh, how do we preserve freedom? How do we do these things? It's about that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, the, the ownership of the station kind of politically doesn't agree with me. And yet, um, I say things in a way that is not that, that, that is morally palatable to people who don't like to swallow. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, and, and that's my specialty is saying things to people that may or may not want to hear them. That, that, you know, that don't advocate, uh, you know, that don't advocate detonating after they eat the idea. <laughs> you know, I, I want, 
I want people to have their palate changed by what I say, not have their gullet blown up by my words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's great. And uh, it, one thing that I've learned is that when I talk to people that have different opinions than me, I, I learn a lot and it, it's important to question things um, and, and think deeply. And uh, yeah, I mean, one of the things I've been going through and doing recently is uh, um, reading Bitcoin critics and listening to Bitcoin critics because it's good to get out of my little echo chamber here and there. And I learn a lot, you know, and it teaches me about problems that I want to work to fix. So, um, well, really great having you on, Charles. I'll definitely be um, listening to your show. I really enjoyed it um, and checking out some of your work man that was a that was a really fun conversation with charles heller from uh liberty watch radio and co-founder of uh arizona citizens defense league oh so much to unpack in that conversation i think the reason why i love conversations like this is because they're so uh empowering you know it he outlines some really um reasonable and legitimate ways that you can go and push back against government you know you can use your money to give it to organizations that you feel represent your voice you know that do good work and going and through and looking at what the golden goldwater institute has done i was like man you know these people really represent my beliefs and the same thing with the arizona citizens defense league i mean that's why i joined um became a lifetime member and uh you know and there's other ways to go about it too i mean you know it's not just about giving lobbyists money uh to represent you it's a it's about doing things like uh calling your representatives and and letting them know what you think about legislation and uh stuff like that and it's difficult because it it takes a lot of energy to do um but but that's part of being self-sovereign is not just being apathetic and sitting on your butt and watching Netflix. It's about doing things, you know? It's about taking responsibility for yourself, your family, and your community. And, you know, I think it's really important to uh, protect the things that allow us to really, like, feel empowered in those different circles of our lives. Uh, and, yeah, that's what I loved about this conversation. And I hope you enjoyed. Um, don't forget about the meetup on Saturday. It'd be good to see you there. And have a good one.